Hello, and welcome to the Equity Foundation podcast. The Equity Foundation is the professional development arm of Actors' Equity. Our mission is to assist, educate, and inspire performers. To find out more, visit www.equityfoundation.org.au. Good morning. Thank you for not sleeping in. I really appreciate it. And I want to thank the Equity Foundation and I want to thank Home Victoria for bringing me here. I'm very, very privileged to be here in your fine country. The first time I came to Australia, we figured it out finally, it was 1990, and it was the day that your domestic pilots went on strike. <laughs> so unfortunately, I wasn't able to get to Melbourne. I was able to get to Cindy, Sydney and Hunter Valley and Cannes, but I'm just thrilled to be back after so many years. And I wanted to get a sense of who's in the room. How many people are on-screen people? And how many are behind the scenes? And how many of you are bankers with money? <laughs> Quick, okay, get their checkbook right away. Um, and then also, I'm looking around the room, I see some men folk here, so I think we need to give a round of applause to the blokes. Mary Cotter and I uh, were talking about a new program that the Equity Foundation and Film Victoria will be launching called Bring a Bloke. <laughs> so it'll be a new thing in all of your programs moving forward. So how many of you have actually heard, I, I'm sure you've heard of Gina Davis, but how many of you have heard of the Institute? Good. So I'll just give you just a few backstory points which you may not know is Gina started this institute out of a very personal experience. All of you know she's an Academy Award winning actor, she's very accomplished, but it was when she started having her children that she noticed this gender disparity, particularly in programming that's targeting children. And when her daughter was two years old, like any mom or dad, she would sit there and watch kids' programs. It could be movies, it could be TV shows, preschool shows. And what struck her was that there was such a lack of female presence. And so she would start counting the number of characters behind her daughter's head. And then, like any parent, she would turn to her friends and say, hey, did you see such and such movie? And did you notice that there was only one female character in the whole movie? And her friends would say, no, I didn't notice. And then when she'd go on meetings with studio executives for potential acting jobs, she would say the same thing. And she would say, it, it, it seems like we don't have a lot of female presence in our, in our programming. And they said, no, 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 that's been fixed. And in all sincerity, they said, no, we have so-and-so, and we have so-and-so. And they really thought, because there was one significant female character in the entire movie, that they had the whole gender covered. And it was at that point where she had this epiphany and thought, no one's seeing what I'm seeing. And on her own, she decided to get research. And she raised money by herself, 
found a wonderful academic and said, I want to know the answer to one question. Is it true? Is it truly, is it true that there's a gender disparity in the programming that we're showing our children? So she conducted the largest study, this was nearly 10 years ago, the largest study of children's entertainment. This was in America. It was family films, it was TV and kids programming. And what she found at that time, and this was conducted for us by a wonderful researcher by the name of Dr. Stacy Smith out of USC, which is University of Southern California. And what we found is that there were, it was approximately three to one ratio of male to female characters. And then when it came to the background, to the entirety of the film or the TV show, when you looked at secondary background characters, it was about 17% female, almost five to one. And so then she thought, well now, now what do I do? And because she's in the industry and she knows everyone, she thought, well, I'll take this research to the studios and let me see what they think. And it was a little daunting for her at the time. And one of the major studios she went to, there was a big room like this full of people. She presented the research. And at the end, literally, I think the casting person was like this. <laughs> and they said, we break down every script that comes in here. And we look at all of the characters. And we have a discussion on could that character be African-American? Could that character be Latino? Could that character be Asian? We have never had the conversation about could that character be female? And similar to the title of this conference, they had never put gender on the agenda. So now fast forward nearly 10 years, and what's been really heartening is many of our colleagues, whether it's a guild, whether it's a nonprofit, whether it's talent like Gina, you have people like Patty Arquette and Jennifer Lawrence talking about pay equity, you have actors like Helen Mirren and you have Emma Watson looking at all types of empowerment of women. So it's great that the entertainment industry is really coming together and building momentum. But for us, the heart of what we do is research. And the reason why Gina took a, a research approach is because she wanted to have the facts. And as you can all imagine, when you're negotiating, whether it's for your next role, and it's your pay, or it's trying to get a movie or a TV show, greenlit or distribution, you're sitting in front of business people. And particularly in America, when you're sitting in front of the CEO of a major studio that makes billions of dollars, you better have the facts, evidence-based facts. So the research, the whole purpose of the research has only been to engage a dialogue. It hasn't been to just report the research and walk away. It begins the cycle for us. And how we work is we start with the research, we do large-scale, small-scale meetings like this, and then we track, and we measure the progress, and then we'll do another study, because all of you get bored. So we have to have something new. We can't have them say, well, I heard that already. So we have to come up with something new. So in doing so, we always look to pioneer and do more research 
and do it more quickly. But as you can imagine, research is very expensive, which is why most nonprofits don't do research. They do direct services. So Google has been a partner of ours for many years. And being a tech company, they said, you know, we think computer science can help you do your research cheaper, better, cheaper, better, faster. And they awarded us about two years ago a $1.2 million technology grant. And they helped us find the best and the brightest. And I think there was going to be a clicker here. Uh, but this lovely gentleman, uh, no, go back. We're going to stare at Shree's picture. Yeah, there we go. So Shree uh, Narayan heads up something called the Sale Laboratory at USC, so it's University of Southern California Engineering School. Brilliant scientist, does a lot of government work, has one of those secret spy clearance levels, gets into buildings that nobody can get into, has also done a lot of work around autism, and he's very preeminent when it comes to face and audio recognition. So what I'm going to share with you today, this is kind of the mashup presentation. It's kind of a few different decks put together, but we're going to show you this new technology that we developed. The reason why we care about it, and particularly for those of you who are on screen, is because it has revealed a deeper level of unconscious gender bias that has not been possible with the human eye. So let's go to the next slide. So as I affectionately called it the thing in the jiggy, and because all the engineers, and I said, well, Gina and I want a thing in the jiggy, and we can run a lot of data. So what this does, which is different from what anyone is doing around the world, is that it can process mass data. So in the, in the time it takes to watch your average movie, maybe 91 minutes, we can actually run the data. So we can process hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of movies in a matter of hours. Normally, it has taken us a year, a year and a half, with hundreds of graduate students to run our data. So the ability to be able to go deeper and faster is a service for us in working with all of you behind the scenes and on screen. The second thing that it does is it uses face and, and audio recognition. So we can not only discern the gender, but we can discern the screen and speaking time. And that's the new trinity of data points which we'll reveal to you. So let's go to the next slide. So the, don't run it yet. So the, the, the gray, it represents uh, Jude Law. And this is screen and speaking time. So the blue box is how it, screen, and how it discerns the gender. And then that zigzag on the bottom is the audio. And then the peachy color, peachy yellow color, is uh, Melissa McCarthy tracking. So this is an example of how it tracks screen and speaking time. So let's roll this clip. I couldn't do what I do without you. And I've been thinking about doing something special for you. So characters, they're carrying the story arc, they're carrying most of, of the line. 
but there's a huge opportunity to populate the entirety of your projects with female presence. And not only female presence, we mean inclusion, we mean diversity. And so this is an example of how this can automate extracting background characters, which is extremely difficult to do with the naked eye. Let's roll this clip. I told my mom. <laughs> And so now, let's look at what we found. So let's go to the next slide. So what we found with regard to screen time is that overall, male characters receive two times the amount of screen time as their female counterparts. Now what happens when it's screen time by lead? Let's go to the next slide. So what we found is in male-led films that the male lead characters had three times the amount of screen and speaking time as the female co-leads. What does this mean? And how does this happen? So the question we have to ask ourselves is, now these are the top 100 movies from America for 2015. They come from different studios, different directors, different writers, different editors. How is it that across all of these 100 films, it's two to three times more? So you have to ask yourself, is this happening in the editing room when the director is sitting next to the editor? Is it happening on set? So as actors, I think, I think you usually kind of count your words and see less more words, but you better make sure that words <laughs> pointed at you the whole time. So we don't have, we have to go deeper on this, but no one has ever realized this before. But what's the business of it? So let's flip to the next slide. Yeah. So, however, there's a myth in Hollywood that women can't open up films, that men won't watch women. But what we found out of the top 100 movies in 2015 is that female-led films did nearly 16% more at the box office. And when it was a male and female co-lead, it generated almost 24% of the box office, more at the box office. You're talking about hundreds of millions of dollars. And we know that our films from America travel around the world. So there's a business imperative. So what I would say to you, those of you that are trying to write and greenlight and get distribution, is that the data proves out that there's a financial imperative in addition to the social imperative. So that's kind of what's happening on screen, but let's look at what's happening behind the camera. So let's go to the next slide. Now this is where the mashup comes in. This data is from Dr. Stacy Smith, who we commissioned uh, to do the first ever global study a few years ago. And even though the US dominates a lot of media, we worked with a lot of global organizations. And they kept saying, well, what's happening everywhere else? How's the rest of the world doing? 
And so we looked at the top 10 global film markets around the world, of course, Australia is part of that. And one of the things we looked at was what's happening behind the camera. And as you can see, it's about a four to one ratio of men to women behind the camera. And I know in Australia and Equity Foundation, Film Victoria, you all have your own numbers. This was in uh, 2014, so these numbers may have changed in actual, don't go there yet, but I'll show you by country. So you have to think about it. Storytellers, as storytellers, you write or craft stories about what you know or what you love, right? So if it's mostly men driving the story, you can see where there may not be a lot of female presence on screen. We don't believe it's an evil conspiracy against women in Hollywood, although a lot of people would disagree with us. We really believe it's unconscious gender bias. So let's take a look at what the numbers are behind the camera across the 10 countries. Let's go to the next slide. I know this is hard to see. Um, Australia's up, I'm going to read the numbers. So in terms of directors, Australia was 8.3%. In terms of writers, 33%. And producer, 29%. Now I know from the numbers that Mary has given me that your directors actually has gone up or has been 16%, which is fantastic because uh, look at the US. Can you see that zero all the way at the bottom? We have never, ever, been double digits in the United States, ever. Whether it's our data, whether it's anybody else's data, it has ranged from, I think, four to 7%. It has never even been 10%. So bravo, 16% for you. Now, here's something interesting. If you look towards the bottom, and if you can count, there's actually 11 territories. And I told you this was a study about 10. So what happened is when we got into the data, there were so many co-productions between the US and UK that we had to have the US, we had to have UK, and then US, UK. Look what happened. So Britain's doing pretty good when you look. They had a really high percentage at that time, that year, of female directors. Look what happens when the US comes in, <laughs> right? So the question, and we don't have research on this, but the question is, what happens when the U.S. gets Whoops. That's not my phone. Um, somebody's phone. So what happens when the U.S. gets involved? And this is important because everyone in the U.S., if you read the trades, is grabbing their India deal, is grabbing their China deal. So it's, it's interesting to watch you know, what happens. And that was also striking, the third bar down, if you look at China, 16.7% directors, 21.1% of writers, and 25% producers. And we also found that China had some of the highest percentage of, of actual female characters, like 40%. And that was really, really interesting. And I had a chance to uh, speak with some of my Chinese colleagues, and I said, why is that? Why would the films coming out of China have a much higher percentage of actual female characters than anyone else? And they said, well, we just ended our 35-year uh, one-child policy. I think it was last year. So if you lived in China, 
and you were only allowed one child, and that child was a girl child, and that girl child was holding up a legacy of the entire family, and she was more revered. So that was also a very interesting data point. So some good news, let's move to the next slide. What happens when women are in the driver's seat? Well, what we found is that when there is a female writer or director, it could yield anywhere from a 6.8 to a 7.5% increase in on-screen roles. So what I was saying before about storytellers, authenticity, telling stories that you know or stories that you love, one of the solutions is getting women in place in decision-making positions as writers, directors, and Greenlight. And I know clearly from Victoria, Screen Australia, your Equity Foundation are really working towards that. So the other thing we looked at is, okay, there's not a lot of females behind the scene, there's not a lot of females on screen, but for the female characters, they're on screen, What's their purpose? What are they doing? And let's go to the next slide. So we started looking at the world of work, and particularly for children. A lot of children take their cues from what they see on screen. And in terms of media consumption in America, as you saw in the animated video, children under the age of eight in America are consuming almost two hours a day of programming on a television set. You don't really lose them to YouTube and the internet until they hit that nine-year-old nine mark where the parents are a little more comfortable letting them meander on the internet. That's a lot of programming, and particularly for little kids, they don't have critical thinking skills. They don't know how to watch and say, I don't see myself. Doesn't work that way. So it's really important to pay attention to how much media they're consuming. And in some cases, they're consuming so much media, it's more than sleep, it's more than school, it's more than sport. So it's very important. And if we don't have that many female characters, and we also know, and I didn't have, have those slides up, that they're usually, the female characters are usually four to six times more sexualized than the male counterparts. So we thought, okay, let's, do they have a job? And so this is executives, and this has meant the highest office. And as you can see, in terms of the C-suite, almost, it's about 80%, almost 90% of the jobs are held by the male characters. And when you look at politics, almost 90%. And then the other fields, I don't know if you can see it, so law, academia, medicine, sport, again, all, the only double digit was medicine doctors. And in America, we joke about it a little bit, uh, doctors and also uh, forensic scientists. So thanks to CSI and a lot of the CBS shows, the, uh, the demand for degrees in forensic science in the United States has skyrocketed. <laughs> Seriously, somebody else did a study, 75%, 75%, increase in demand. Now, I don't know about you, I don't spend a lot of time on crime scenes. I try to avoid it, but they have very tailored blouses. <laughs> and Prada shoes, it's interesting that they can afford those, and I'd love to see them slide through the blood. Um, but, but anyway, 
So the other thing that's uh, really important is in the United States and I think around the world is something called STEM, science, technology, engineering, and math. So let's look at the next slide. So it's about a 7.6 to 1 ratio of male characters to female characters. And we know in the United States by the year of 2020, there will be probably 2 million jobs that we can't fill because our children are pursuing careers in science, technology, engineering, and math. And we did this little pilot program that was funded by our public television in the US. And we asked children, what does a mathematician look like? What does a scientist look like? And it was boys and girls, diverse, about six to nine. And the default was male, and they drew these crazy cartoons. And the, when you say scientist, the, in the image that we conjure is this white guy with glasses and a white lab jacket. And, and unfortunately, that has really permeated what our children think about it. And we've advanced somewhat that we actually show life sciences. So life sciences, there's four categories here. Life sciences, computer science, engineering, math. So where the jobs are, we're not showing our children these jobs. So it's really, really important that we can show, even if we have few female characters, show them doing something that could be aspirational for them. And our friends at Google are doing a really good job. They spend a lot of time working in television in Hollywood trying to change characters into STEM. And they've been working uh, closely with Hidden Figures, which is a movie coming out from Fox, uh, which you may have heard about. Uh, they, there's a TV show in America called Miles from Tomorrowland. So they've been working on a lot of children's programming to get STEM characters added. So now it comes down to, so what? Some people say, well, it's entertainment. Who cares? It really does matter. Media messaging matters. And we've been partnering with J. Walter Thompson, which is a large global advertising agency. And their team out of the UK has been working on a women's index. And they've been doing a very extensive survey of women in nine countries, Australia, of course, being one of them. And they started out with about 4,300 women, and now I think they're up to 7,300. Let's go to the next slide. So why does media matter? Why should you care? Because it really has an impact. So they were doing this index on all different questions around women, and we said, well, we really need to tie the content analysis that we're doing with the impact, the so what factor. And we asked them if they could put in a line of questions on the impact and influence of, and they use the word role model, and I hate that word, but I'll explain it in a minute, on women. And so we have three sections. We have millennials, we have Gen Z, and we have baby boomers. And so what we asked them, what we asked them is how important were these role models in TV and film? And I don't know if you can see it, so I'll read it. Um, so for millennials, 44% said very important. Gen X said 42% very important. And for baby boomers, almost 40% very important. And we said, well, what did it do? How did it directly impact you? And for millennials, 26% said, well, it made me be more assertive. 
and more ambitious. For Gen, Gen X, it was 16%, and for baby boomers, 6%. And then for some of them, it said, it helped me take up a sport, so that was 11%. And the sport thing is really interesting, and I know I don't have to mention anything about sport here. Uh, and I heard uh, what a phenomenon it was when the women's football team played and the ratings were outstanding. Well, what's interesting about sport, and we learned this from our friends at J. Walter Thompson, is that when women play sports, they are 20% more employable. So there's a real big thing about sport, and I'll digress for one minute. How many of you people know that Gina was involved in archery? Ah. So what happened is, she did not believe that she was athletic. And because of a lot of the roles that she had to do, you have to learn how to do things. And after doing so many different roles that required sports, producers and directors said to her, you've got some athletic talent. And she thought, really? So at the age of 41, she trained for two years and qualified for the Olympic trials, and that was leading up to the Sydney Olympics. She didn't make the team. But about a year, year and a half ago, her former coach called her up and said, Gina, girls' participation in archery has skyrocketed. So we did a survey with the American Association of, of Archery, surveyed all their members, and what we found out that seven out of 10 girls started participating in archery. Girls' participation in archery went up 105%. Does anyone want to guess why? And, ah, yes. And they named it. They said because of Katniss and Hunger Games, and because of Merida and Brave, it made him want to take a archery. So it relates back to when we say if she can see it, she can be it, but, but sport is very significant. Now another significant data point on here is that because of a role model they saw in TV and film, a certain percentage of women left an abusive relationship, and I'll read this. For uh, millennials, it was 10%, for Gen X, 8%, and for baby boomers, 5%. So that's very, very significant. Now why do we hate the word role model? So I'm sure when you get your breakdowns and you read the descriptor of female characters, and I know that's a whole nother session, but strong female character, when you see those words, strong female character, all of a sudden you've taken the experience of being a woman from this to that. You've completely narrowed it down. And so personally, we don't love the word role model because we want to see all shapes and sizes and flaws. Flaws are really, really good. So let's move to the next, next slide because this is what we say to you as storytellers. It's kind of simple. Go through the script and change a bunch of names from male to female, and you will have crafted some very interesting female characters. Look at Alien with Sigourney Weaver. Look at Salt with Angelina Jolie. As you know, that role was initially offered to Tom Cruise, and then Amy Pascal gave it, you know, offered it up to Angelina Jolie. I mean, those scripts weren't really changed, but yet those were very unique female characters. 
The other thing we say is look at the entirety of your script because we know that you tend to focus on the leads. Make whatever you're going to make. We're not saying that every single movie and TV show has to be 50% female characters and diverse. Make what you're going to make. You're artists. You need creative freedom. But look at all the characters. Look at all of the characters. And I'll give you some examples, real-world examples of that. Shonda Rhimes, do you all know who Shonda Rhimes is? In the United States, okay. Very prolific. Nobody does diversity better in America than Shonda Rhimes. And Gina had a chance to work with her because she was on a season of Grey's Anatomy and she was also on a panel with her. And Gina was talking about background characters and Shonda hadn't thought about that. And she went back and went through all of her shows and actually changed out a lot of the background characters. Another colleague and supporter of ours, have you heard of Melissa Rosenberg? She wrote all the scripts for Twilight and she's a showrunner. Have you seen Jessica Jones? So she makes a joke of it. Uh, what she says to her, I think second AD is, do what you're gonna do in terms of setup for the scene and then do the opposite. And then I know I'll have gender balance scenes. So that's one example of it. Also, another example is uh, taking some non-speaking characters, female characters, giving them dialogue. And one example of that is there was a movie that came out, they've done two of them, I think they're on the third, but the first time, there was a movie called Hotel Transylvania, which came out from Sony Animation. And at the time, uh, Michelle uh, ramos Chiate was the president of Sony Animation, and Michelle Madraca was the producer. And we did a big gathering, uh, of, of everybody from SPE Animation, and they came up to us afterwards and said, oh my God, we're a third of the way through the animation. I don't know what we can do. And as if, for those of you who work in animation, it could take three to five years for one animated movie to come out. Do you know how long it took Brave to come to market? 12 years, Brenda Chapman worked 12 years to bring Brave to market. So it could take a very, very long time, but there are, have any of you seen the movie? Few of you? So what she did was she tripled the witches. Tripled the witches, so there's tons of witches flying around. And then she took one of the non-speaking characters and gave them a moment with Dracula where uh, they had some, some dialogue. Uh, another example is there's a movie, I don't know if you've seen this movie, a lot, we focus on kids, so this is why I'm naming all kids. Movies, The Little Prince. Yes. So the director's a fabulous guy by the name of Mark Osborne. And four years ago, he said to Gina and I, hey, I'm going to Paris to do this movie, and I'm going to add some major female characters. And we thought, how do you do that to The Little Prince? <laughs> right? You don't want to mess with, with a classic work. But what he did is he totally preserved the story of the little boy. But he wrapped the story arc with a new story about a single working mom who was total alpha helicopter mom and her daughter. And, it, and so the little prince is told through the daughter who meets this elderly next door neighbor. So here, you can be very creative. Did it influence the budget deficit? No. Uh, did it change the, the male need of the boy? No but did it include some great female characters? Yes. Uh, so those are just some examples. So people said to us, well, how are you making an impact? Are you getting results? So let's look at our final slide. There we go. 
And when we do these surveys, so the, the circle of the circle of life for us is we start with the research, we do these kind of convenings, small meetings, big meetings, we conduct surveys, and then we start all over again. So a few years ago, we did a survey of about a few thousand entertainment executives, and we said, we know 90%, over 90%, you always say you're gonna use it, you're gonna share it, but what have you done? And 68% said they had changed two or more projects, and 41% said they had changed four more projects. And when we asked them, well, what did you do? They said, well, I hired some female crew, I put some clothes on the character, I made them look sexualized, and I gave them a job. So clearly, when you look at the world, and we're not even gonna talk about American politics today, but when you look at the major business sectors, law, academia, politics, it could take decades. In the United States, it'll take hundreds of years for women to achieve parity in terms of corporate boards, but we are the entertainment industry. We are the media industry. We deal with fiction. So we are the only major business category that can change the world. Overnight, overnight, in the time it takes for you to write your next TV show, your next movie, overnight you can show a landscape that is 50-50 female, diverse, unique characters. And our philosophy is, if you can change the mind of a child, you can change the world overnight. Thank you. Media Super is the principal sponsor of the Equity Foundation. For more information about the work of the Foundation, visit equityfoundation.org.au or follow Australian Actors' Equity on Facebook and Twitter.